We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Taiwan Public Opinion Foundation Research Fellow Paul Huang. Hello, everyone. Ralph Jennings, who previously worked for many years as a journalist here in Taiwan and is now based in Hong Kong with the South China Morning Post. Thanks for having me, Gavin. And on the telephone today by our regular commentator, Ross Feingold. Good evening. And we'll begin today's show, as we have Ralph in the studio, with a look at how Chinese media is covering Taiwan's January the 13th elections. So, Ralph, I mean, we could probably predict quite well, with two hands tied behind our backs, what the media in China is saying. But you're the expert, mate, so... What are they saying? What is the crux of Beijing's stories or the Hong Kong media stories about the election? Well, the Chinese media, as you might expect, are following the directives of the Chinese government. They don't really have a choice in that matter. And the Chinese government is saying through several departments and ministries that uh, Lai Qingde, they don't like him. They think he is going to be a stronger pro-independence advocate than Tsai Ing-wen. It's not just going to be another four years. It's going to be a tougher four years. And they have cautioned him against any sort of independence activities over and over and over. And they're not shy about it. And the media are just picking that up. Is it just repeat, 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 repeat? Or are you actually getting new things, different things occasionally? Uh, sometimes the wording, the language may differ, but the message is the same. And with, as with any kind of Taiwan issue, the Chinese government and the Chinese media are always in alignment. They're in sync. They are careful with their overall tone and the language and the message they want to get out. Well, no surprise that uh, the, the Chinese uh, state media uh, ecosystem uh, is skeptical of William Lai. I mean, his positions on independence are well known, even though he spent the election campaign trying to walk back from it. So should he uh, be elected the next president, uh, we should expect uh, the vitriol from the Chinese media to be fast and quite harsh. And Ross, are you seeing anything on social media rather than the mainstream media? Yeah, on Chinese social media, uh, I think the same thought process applies, that they do not like Lai, they think he's pro-independence, and he's splitting the Chinese nation. And what about the other? Are they saying anything on social media about, like, Hoyoi or Kerwinjie? Not not really. Uh, that's probably based on the expectation that Lai is going to win. If there was a higher expectation for the other guys, they, they'd be talking about him. But I think also at this point, for lack of a better description, it's fair to say China has given up on the Kuomintang, on the Chinese Nationalist Party. Uh, unlikely they'll win this uh, election. It would be a big upset if they did. But even if they did, even if Hoyoi is somehow able to win a miraculous come-from-behind victory, I don't think people in China including the average social media user, is thinking that it will usher in a great period of China-Taiwan relations again. And Ralph, mainstream media, are they talking about Kerwin Zhu and Hoyoi? The mainstream media have named the fact that Taiwan has opposition parties who are not quite as virulent as Lai Qingde. They don't really go into a lot of detail about the, the other two candidates and exactly who they are. And Paul? Well, you have these uh, DPP affiliated groups uh, the claims that the Chinese social media on TikTok and Weibo and they are promoting Kerwinger and Hoyoi um, to some extent. Uh, but in general, you know, they don't 
even if you look at the, these allegations, they're not really promoting them. They're just say highlighting certain words and the statements they made and and say, "Wow, oh, how ridiculous they are!" Well, this shows that Taiwan has this uh, has has this, has this internal problem, divides and, and and stuff. And reason they also and, and the reason they don't even highlight lighting to that all is because just, just because they. I think they they, they view all three candidates with very skeptical eyes. The 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 PRC government, in, uh, they they see all of them as potential Taiwanese and Taiwan independent forces. They don't really have a preference uh, to promote any 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 one of them really. Uh, and and anything is a general misconception. Well, they 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 they, they, they prefer this that. Well, they they view Taiwan's democratic process and electoral process as as tied tied to tied to in itself. And Ross, what about the other more pro unificationist parties? Are you seeing any traction there in the Chinese media? Well, people representing those parties have traction in the sense that they're on social media or they're interviewed by uh, mainland media to be critics of the Tsai Ing-wen government and of the DPP and of uh, Taiwan independence more broadly. Uh, so those people always have a platform, keeping in mind that you could have a platform of half a million people in China, which might sound like a lot, but in the grand scheme of things in China, it's not a lot. But you know, people from, for example, the New Party or former Kuomintang legislators or other personalities associated with the Kuomintang who are no longer part of Party Central, they, they could always get a platform in China criticizing uh, their, their, their former colleagues or criticizing the DPP. And how do you think that goes down here in Taiwan? Well, I, I don't think people in Taiwan are always cognizant of the media activities of some of their politicians. But on the other hand, if there's former Kuomintang legislators who have uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of followers on Chinese social media, I think for the public here, it just proves the point that this is not somebody who we want uh, to be in the legislature at present. And that's why we're happy that they are former legislators. And, and a good example of that would be four years ago at this time, when, uh, or a little earlier in November, four years ago, when uh, then party chairman Wu Doni put Chiu Yi on, on the uh, at-large legislators list. And there was a, a really immediate, uh, strong public reaction because this is a guy who's who's really speaking in Chinese media on a regular basis and has a lot of followers on his Chinese social media account, and, and he's just considered at this point too pro-unificationist uh, to, to be viable as, as a legislator. And Ralph, how are these people going down in China? I mean, obviously, Ross said that they, have a, they could have several hundred thousand supporters in China or people who go onto their social media sites, but in the average person in China knows who these politicians are, the pro-unification politicians are? I don't think the average person in China knows. They do know the names of the three major candidates. They don't know very many of the legislative candidates, if any. We're talking about average people. If you go beyond that contingent to more educated folks, uh, especially those who've lived outside of China at some point in their life and have had access to different kinds of media, they will know. Well, uh, speaking to some even Chinese intellectuals, they don't. Some, many of them don't even have a good idea who these three candidates are. They might not like Jingde, but uh, for <laughs> especially not familiar with Ke Wenzhe. Uh the general Chinese public, no, they 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 wouldn't have that idea, and no, no, would they really care. 
And Ross, do you think there's any umption, any get up and go in China to understand Taiwan's political system? Well, no. Like I said earlier in the show, given that the the government seems to have given up on on the Chinese Nationalist Party, and they they were always skeptical of the Democratic Progressive Party, I think they've given up hope on on, uh, returning to an era like Mai and Joe between 2008 in 2016, where there was a government in office in Taiwan that wanted to work with China, wanted to reach agreements uh, on various issues, trade and other things. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think China's just given up, and uh, they really don't have any hope that Taiwan's leadership, whoever it is, will return to that era, which is a very long-winded way of saying that uh, whoever wins the election, China's going to increase the pressure using the same tools that we know very well that it has, whether that's in the trade space, military exercises, persuading countries that still have recognition to dump Taiwan and recognize uh, the People's Republic of China. Uh, These are all tools that China has and most likely will be using them in the coming four years. So, Ralph, we can't expect any big, splashy headlines in the Chinese media on the day after the election. Uh, the headlines will definitely splash and probably talk about uh, if, if Lai Qingde wins, as expected in the polls, they will roundly criticize him once again, and they may give him a warning. That's uh, the, one of the most intelligent analyses that I've heard, that he will be warned by China to not do certain things once he gets inaugurated. And um, they may give him some wait-and-watch space. And I don't know how much of that will come out in the media, especially on January 14th, the day after. Um, One thing to bear in mind is that the Chinese government does not really want to play up the fact that Taiwan has democratic elections. So that's a reason you don't see a lot of information about the the other candidates and and the process as a whole. And Paul, what about Chinese nationals living overseas, whether in America, for example, where they have access to a wide range of media outlets? No, I talked to many of them uh, in the U.S. Well, during my time in the U.S. Um, and like I said, the, even the intellectuals, the dissidents, and those that are supposed to have more research on this uh, knowledge, uh, information than the average people, they don't know much about the the, the nuances, uh, or especially Hou Youyi, Ke Wenzhe. Um, but of course, many of these overseas Chinese, especially among the older of them, they watch a lot of these Taiwan talk shows on on YouTube and commentary or commentaries by Chinese uh, YouTubers and public intellectuals, uh, who which are even worse uh, in terms of their presentation of Taiwan and and and, and, and general information. Um, I was. I, I would say it's just it's it's it, it just reinforce their preconceived notion, whatever that is. Some of them are hardcore anti CCP and things Taiwan. Everything Taiwan is uh, fine and rosy, and 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 and, and they, in that case, they prefer the DPP. They 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 think the DPP is just, the, the the savior just because it is opposed it's uh, it's uh, verbal uh, rhetorically so opposed to. China, but some of them, of course, they they uh, they prefer the KMT. But in general, the, the, these are just noises. That's uh, they 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 don't really have that um, much better understanding than Taiwan uh, than the Chinese within uh, China. 
Uh, that's it's a great question because they think of the struggle that overseas Chinese have. I mean, some of them, yes, they're dissidents. They hate the CCP. That doesn't necessarily uh, translate into supporting Taiwan independence and the, and the DPP. They still they could dislike the CCP, but still uh, take the view, take a hardline view that ta- Taiwan is part of China. But yeah, overseas communities. I know from my own experience appearing on talk shows here and looking at the YouTube comments that uh, there, there are there is a, a big audience of people outside China who do watch the Taiwan programs. Maybe they take some inspiration for how uh, China itself could democratize in in the future. But uh, ultimately, uh, they're irrelevant to this election because they're not voters, and this election is up, up to the voters of Taiwan. And Ralph, what about Hong Kong media? Well, the Hong Kong media by and large, and despite a lot of fears, can still pretty much cover as they wish, and, and they can report on Taiwan as they like. And so you'll see a lot of reasonably normative reporting just on who's running and who's leading and who's winning and what their platforms are going to be. Some of it will come from the wire services, I suppose, if they don't have people here. Uh, sometimes they may have correspondents, stringers, etc., or be able to send somebody, which is a little harder. But I think it'll be fairly, it'll be low-key, but just following the book. And what about the general public in Hong Kong? What are they getting from this media coverage there? Uh, the general public will probably rely more on the social side. And as we were discussing earlier, to get the information they really want, they are quietly, passively, but very ardently supportive of Taiwan's democracy, um, especially the you know, native, long-time Hong Kong Chinese. Uh, they don't particularly want their Taiwan to go the direction that Hong Kong has gone in in many cases. And staying with China, but turning to Beijing's military activity in the Taiwan Strait and in waters and skies around Taiwan now in the run-up to the election. And Paul, what, 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 what have we seen in the past few weeks and what could we see post-election depending on the outcome? Just the same thing over the last couple of months and years, really. They uh, the increased Chinese and air and naval activities around the, around Taiwan. Those were really not. Those were really just reflected of PLA's uh, growing strengths, and 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 that lead to their more assertive postures, and. We have seen from last year's uh, activities after Pelosi's uh, Nancy Pelosi Pelosi's visit. The the PRC um, China in general they they re, they 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 make their military posture toward Taiwan. They react only to United States, not to Taiwan domestic uh, internal electoral politics. Then this is just a, a very misconception again. Among, among many that well if the, if the KMT comes up the, the, the missiles are going to go away the activities are going to go away uh, and, and the DPP is the it's been the cause of these activities no uh, if you look at Mangzhou those during those eight years the, the PLA rocket force missiles increased substantially during the eight years that Mangzhou was, was, was president. During the time when the cross-rail relation uh, appeared to be stable, appeared to be nice, well, actually, no, if you look at what, what, what the PLA has been building up, it's not, not, he doesn't really care. Uh, he didn't really care, and he's not going to care now, um, regardless who who's elected. They are going to continue to build up that military um, 
part the military capability and preparedness uh, to uh, against Taiwan. It's not going to change. Who, which whichever person become Taiwan's president. Um, as for uh, the last few weeks, of course, there have been reports about these uh, balloons that over from Taiwan, from China. And it, what's interesting is these reports, they, 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 they originated from Taiwan's Ministry of National Defense. They certainly include them in their daily uh, Chinese uh, military aircraft activities uh, report, uh, briefing uh, chart every day. Now, last year, if you if we if we remember, well, earlier uh, in earlier in twenty twenty three, there was this uh, Chinese balloon overflight of the United States uh, incident that generated all kind of buzz. Back then, Taiwan government actually told people, actually told the told foreign media that Chinese balloons had flown over Taiwan many times before before early twenty twenty three. What does that mean? It means it would they would, this would have already happened many times before 2023, and why why are they certainly why is Taiwan's MMD certainly certainly cares about these balloons uh, flying over Taiwan? Well, <laughs> I think there is only one explanation: is somebody um, within the MD or probably above then say. It's time for you to start start re- putting these uh, balloons overfly into your into your daily chart, and then and and so that so 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 that certain uh, the government can use this as uh, in their to justify their accusation that or or construct this idea that the balloons are there for to 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 start the DPP to interfere in Taiwan's election. That's just not true because the balloons had already been overflying Taiwan uh, uh, from time to time before this election, before 2023. I think uh, this conversation just crystallizes how important it is that whoever forms the next government uh, have a really good team of uh, national security advisors. And I think it's a legitimate concern to question if they will. It doesn't matter who's going to win. None of the three candidates have a military background. And I think given Taiwan's present circumstances and, and the, the likelihood of continued Chinese military activity, as Paul said, often in response to things the U.S. do, uh, I, I think you know, we, we just have to pray, Gavin, that the next president's going to have a really, really good national security team. So, Ralph, of course, we have a lot in the press here about the daily briefings from the Defence Ministry, as Paul said. Does the Chinese media report what it's doing in the Taiwan Strait militarily-wise? Not in much detail and not very often. The Chinese government, as I mentioned earlier, has a very controlled, scripted narrative about cross-strait relations and about um, the mainland's own relationship with Taiwan. Uh, They usually don't go into details about anything the military does. Uh, however, they do report on things that the U.S. military does. And as Paul mentioned as well, most of the Chinese activity, the big, big stuff, the blockades and the the uh, scheduled drills and on all sides of Taiwan, those respond to U.S. measures um, taken by their military or by meetings between um, U.S. luminaries and Taiwan officials, etc. So... Um, the media aren't going to tell you that much out of China, except what they've already told you. And Ross? 
Yeah, I think that we could say it's it's a near certainty that uh, China will continue to use uh, the tool of military pressure on Taiwan. That's why I said that whoever wins the election needs to have a really good national security team and really needs to be able to communicate with the public. Um, what I mean is whoever becomes president needs to be able to say, look, you guys elected me, you the public elected me, and now here's what I'm going to do to safeguard uh, Taiwan. And uh, I, I'm concerned with the three candidates. That, that, uh, none of them really have convinced me that they could be the national security president that Taiwan really will need in the next four years. And Paul, a national security president, are, are voters voting for one or can't you see any? No, there's none. There's there's none. None 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 of these three offer any tangible defense policies to fix Taiwan's military. None of them have shown that urgency, that willingness, or that 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 personnel, that team behind them that understand the problem. Um, and uh, and frankly, I don't think any of these three, if they are elected, would have done. Things differently. Of course, the personnel that that, that might be different uh, in terms of uh, how they manage the M and D, the relation with the M D. And um, I, I I would make a comment here. I think also, I think those three, uh, especially Ho and, and Ke, they might have done marginally better than the the than than, than, than the incumbent prison size team, just because how bad things have been. In the last several years, you can't get any worse than how how they manage the military over the last few years. I would only add that the Chinese military will continue to aggravate Taiwan. Um, I think at current levels, if Lai Qingde wins and if he takes office, I don't think you can come out and say like because thirty five percent of the electorate voted for somebody you don't like, therefore we're going to make a, a huge, huge military threat against your island. I don't think they can justify that according to their red line, pro-independence, squelching of such kind of theory. Uh, they, but they will keep up what they've done. They'll send in more balloons to check out the weather on, on Jade Mountain or whatever they're doing up there, um, I said with my tongue inserted in both cheeks, and they will use the, the bombers and the fighters and the, the drones and all that other good stuff just to remind everybody that they exist and they're strong. And moving away from China and Taiwan now into Taiwan and to the streets of Taipei where, Ross, has election fever taken over the streets of Taipei or has this election, as I've seen or feel I've seen, could be been rather muted than previous elections? I call it rather muted. It's definitely not, as to use the Mandarin word, renal, as past uh, presidential and legislative elections. Now, maybe people just have uh, a greater respect for not producing the endless amounts of paper waste that previous elections generated with all the signage everywhere or other types of billboards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's a surprisingly surprising lack of television ads, for example. There are ads, uh, but I wouldn't say that we're overwhelmed with television advertising. Uh, there's also online advertising, of course, but it's, it, I find those ads to be very easy to ignore. They're, you know, it's just a little tiny ad. If you're reading, say, for example, a newspaper article uh, using a mobile device. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say it, it's it's 
there, there's the lack of enthusiasm that, that was, and it's below the enthusiasm level uh, of previous elections. And uh, I guess, I, I'll defer to Paul, uh, but I, I think we should expect the uh, peop- the number of people turn out to vote to be a little bit below the number four years ago when it was very, very high. It was nearly 75% of eligible voters turned out to vote. And Paul, are you seeing election fever? Well, we can talk about the uh, the, the the intention to vote, not in terms of candidate. The, the poll we had um, published last month, late last month, uh, just, just a week ago, we found 86% say they're going to vote on January 13. Uh, that number in the uh, compared to 2020, 2016, so that indicates that a turnout of just uh, of probably about 70% or just a little bit lower, to which is higher than 2016, but lower than 2020. Uh, so like Ross said, uh, there's uh, it's not as... Not as heatedly discussed, uh, and and not not as uh, there's not as much public attention on this election as back in 2020, but probably more than 20, probably more more competitive than 2016, when it was just very very one side one sided, and I think it's it's only because it's more comp- relatively more competitive that you have a little bit more attention paid to it. And Ralph, you've covered numerous past elections here in Taiwan over the past couple of decades. So what are you seeing since your return here for a brief visit? Are you seeing election trucks, election banners everywhere, splashy posters on the side of walls? I am seeing all of that, but much less than in previous campaign seasons, as uh, as uh, Ross and Paul have mentioned. I think, um, as Ross was suggesting, perhaps the candidates don't want to be seen as wasteful, disruptive, noisy. Perhaps those days are just kind of past. Um, I don't think, however, that the lack of visible or audible campaigning really equates to actual organic enthusiasm. I think people do care. We're talking about 70% or 86% or whatever it may be. That's still pretty high compared to a lot of other countries around the world facing elections. Um, And I've been surprised by how many people, how many of my Taiwanese friends just bring it up on their own before I do when we're sitting down for a coffee or, or whatnot. Does say, well, how about that election? And I say, well, I'm here, I'm traveling, I'm visiting, and why don't you tell me? And they have a lot to say. So clearly they care. And now talking about the election still, but in some, well, we'll talk about some lighter election news, that being the vice presidential candidates butting heads at their televised debate on Monday of this week. Of course, those candidates are the DPP's Xiaobi Kim, the KMT's Zhao Xiaokang, and the Taiwan People's Party's Cynthia Wu, where cross-strait ties were in focus on Monday, and the candidates butted heads on China policy, the ROC constitution, the 1992 consensus, and defence spending. So, Ross, did you watch the debate? And if so, what did you bring away from it? I did watch the debate, and what I bring away from it is uh, Zhao Xiaokang. He has uh, excellent speaking skills, being a a television program host for many, many years. And it shows during the the debate, uh, typically in a democracy, whether it's the United States, Taiwan, or elsewhere, we don't think of the vice president, uh, whoever the, the candidate is or what they say on the campaign trail, we typically don't think that they're going to have much of an effect on on the actual outcome. And I think that applies to this election. I mean, nobody's saying, uh, I'm going to vote for Ho because he's got he's got Zhao, or I'm going to vote for Ke because he's got Wu, or I'm going to vote for Lai because he's got Xiao. One thing that I found um, interesting is they keep talking about the ROC, 
Zhao Xiao Kang kept talking about it, and Xiao uh, Bi King was being on defensive about it, also saying that that just trying to on um, playing defensive that how why the DBB has embrace has embraced it. But, but it's just crossing my mind that you know the the, the, the CCP PRC. They never care about the, the the RC. They never say that if you embrace the RC, then they are going to invade, or if you ditch the RC, they are going to invade. No, there's been zero evidence, zero that that um, they, they they have said such thing. They are what they see Taiwan, um, Taiwan's electoral process, Taiwan's political party, Taiwan's uh, all of that as potentially Taidu Taidu fans, Taidu Taiwan independent forces. It's nothing to do with the RC. They don't care about the RC. For the for all they care, they the the the, the People's Republic of China seceded the Republic of China. They don't. It's, it's gone. It's no longer there. So so so, so both Zhao and Xiao they. Go on, pretend, pretend that this is the thing that define cross-strait relation. Well, bad news for you that this is not a thing. Zero. The, P, the, the CCP doesn't care. You don't care if you embrace your digit. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. You have these two candidates uh, who seemingly embrace on a completely pointless debate. They only evolve around Taiwan's own very misconceived uh, notion about. About China, about the uh, Beijing, this tells you that I don't think neither neither of them has good idea about what China is. I saw a summary of the debate. I'm sorry I didn't have the um, the metal to sit through the whole thing and listen to everybody's comments. And I two things occurred to me. One is that the vice president in Taiwan does not have much of a say so in cross strait relations, as far as I know. And in fact, once the team gets elected, the vice president takes a, a very low-key role in many cases over you know many of Taiwan's administrations. So the fact that they were arguing about a detail or two about of cross-strait relations, um, I could only imagine that they were reflecting or amplifying the views of their presidential candidates who hired them to be on the ticket. And Ross, do you agree with that? Do you think they were just they're just aping their presidential candidates rather than actually giving their own personal opinions? Uh, well, and again, in the case of Zhao, I don't think he's aping because he's he's so articulate and, and a good public speaker. Um, in in many ways, he's a more effective public speaker than Ho Yi is. So I, I wouldn't accuse him of of aping what what his running mate, what the you know the number one, what the big guy says. Um, you know, if, Having watched the debate I, again, I, I think he, he was by far compared to the other two candidates more more comfortable being on the stage. But yeah, for for Xiao Xiao Mei, Xiao Meiqin, I, I think she is just up there to repeat that uh, when it comes to cross strait relations, you don't have to worry about Lai Qingde, William Lai doing anything that would cause tensions. He's going to follow Tsai Ing Wen's path, et cetera, et cetera. And what about the Taiwan People's Party's Cynthia Wu? Well, she she talks about things that are more important to her, not necessarily Coenja, uh, uh, and uh, she's trying to sell the public on um, you know we're a good team. Please think about us. Uh, but you know, it, it, at this point, it seems very unlikely that they're going to be successful. And in some other election news from this week, the KMT launched an all-female campaign group with party chairman Eric Jew on Wednesday unveiling the KMT Girls. The group has over 10 members and also includes several of the KMT's legislature at large nominees. 
According to Eric Jew, the KMT girls will visit competitive constituencies to campaign for party candidates, highlighting what he called the strong fighting spirit of KMT women. Now, speaking to reporters, Jew said the group will be focusing on appealing to women, swing voters and young voters in the contested constituencies. The KMT, of course, Ralph is the only one of the three parties vying for the presidency not to have a female candidate on its ticket. I don't know, because I have to be honest here, I don't live in, in Taiwan at this point and follow the minutia of um, that sort of a granular aspect of the elections, but I would imagine that gender probably has some role in who votes for whom, but I don't think it's a decisive one. It may matter uh, if we didn't have so many heady issues uh, to consider in addition to that. So the KMT girls, Ross? I think this is just a good example of how the Kuomintang, the Nationalist Party, has run its campaign. You're coming out with this initiative within so few days before the election. I mean, who cares at this point? They're not gonna, it's unlikely they're going to make a difference. You know, I, I would just like to ask Chairman uh, Eric Zhu, Julie Wun, like, why didn't you do this three months ago or six months ago? Uh, it, it just strikes me as a very late initiative and something they should have done a long time ago. But that's the Nationalist Party for you. And meanwhile, DPP lawmaker Lord Jung on Wednesday claimed that he's been the target of a deep fake sex video. Now, according to law, he's reported the case to the authorities and it's now under investigation. He says the video was first uploaded to a foreign porn website and was picked up by media outlets here in Taiwan, which resulted in further exposure of the video. Now, the DPP lawmaker is also claiming the video is an attempt by foreign governments to interfere in Taiwan's presidential and legislative elections. So, of course, Ross, there was talk about deep fake videos for the past basically year. There's been talk about deep fake videos, and this one is apparently the first to have tried to sway a legislative election. If it really is a deep fake, then uh, hopefully the authorities will track down the culprits and they'll be prosecuted to the uh, full extent of the law, which has been strengthened after earlier, as you alluded to earlier, deep fake incidents involving prominent persons in Taiwan. Uh, unfortunately, th this occurred. There's really no place for it in, in a mature democracy. Um, so if it's fake, as it appears to be, then you know, law is absolutely correct in, in seeking, uh, seeking justice, seeking redress. Uh, but uh, also, though, you know, Laws is a multi-term legislator. He, he does a lot of work on foreign policy. Uh, but there's also a lot of talk, a lot of speculation that a guy who's an incumbent, who's won election several times, he actually seems to be in danger. Uh, so he, you know, he, he might lose, but if he loses, it's not going to be because of this video. It's going to be because the voters in that constituency want to change. And Paul, obviously, it's not very nice. It's illegal. People could get caught and be in trouble. But could we see more of this? I haven't looked at that video, and I haven't done research on that video. And honestly, frankly, I don't care. I care more about the fact that legislator law of, of his record, his, uh, of his speeches, of his statements, of the fact that he is very, very ignorant, very, very uh, partisan-headed, uh, is a... He's, 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 he's a he's a goof when it comes to international relations, defense, and U.S.-Taiwan relations. And he keeps uh, saying things such as uh, just a while ago, he was telling all the media, oh, Xi Jinping promised Biden that he has no plan to invade Taiwan. There's no worry under the DPP. Well, for someone, for a DPP legislator to say something this stupid, 
Um, I care more about that. The fact that this person is one of the one of DPP's uh, foreign affairs and defense uh, parliamentarian, and the fact that he has said numerous uh, stupid things about the military, about the U.S. Taiwan relation. About how the U.S. is always being behind Taiwan is coming. We, 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 the defenses are sure. The guarantees are sure. Well, there's no guarantee, by the way. Uh, but but someone like that, right? I care about about those. I think those have done more harm to 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 that to to Taiwan public's uh, uh, to, to to the public discussion, and also and also shows that he's in, in, inadequate as a legislator, and that and that that alone is is. Uh, much, much more, more serious than some alleged video about he, about a sex video. And before we go this week, President Tsai Ing-wen delivered her final New Year's Day address of her eight-year tenure as head of state on Monday, in which she touted her administration's maintaining of the cross-strait status quo, its determination to strengthen national defence, as well as the economic, health, education and energy policies. And she also claimed that Taiwan is no longer overlooked. And during her eight years in office, today's Taiwan is known the world over. So, Ross, obviously you were glued to the television when Tsai made her speech. And what was your takeaway from that? Well, that's a good point. Uh, how many people were really glued to their television to watch this? I, I, I don't think many were. Um, you know, President Tsai has made multiple big speeches, right? New Year's Day, big speech, uh, uh, Double Ten, you know, the National Day of the Republic of China, big speech, other big speeches along the way. Uh, so at this point, I don't think the public really cared. I'm sorry, President Tsai, but I think it's fair to say the public just doesn't care anymore. Uh, but uh, also we understand that President Tsai has to do what's necessary to build her legacy. However, I, I do disagree with her that uh, Taiwan has become internationally known only over the past seven-plus years and only because of the policies of this government. I think Taiwan has been well-known for a number of dis- different reasons, whether that's technology or because it produces some really good baseball players who played in the United States, uh, and it has some great film directors who've come from Taiwan. I mean, there, there's a long list of reasons why Taiwan has been known to the world. Uh, hell, Ralph, Ralph is with us today. He's been writing about Taiwan for decades as a professional journalist. People read his articles. Uh, I read, I've read them. Um, so uh, I, I don't think uh, it's, it's accurate to say that now Taiwan is known and it wasn't known before. So you should say nice things about my, my legacy as president. So uh, with all due respect to President Tsai, I, 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 you could tell I vehemently disagree with her take. I would only say that Tsai Ing-wen, as the outgoing president, she's going to be leaving in May, She's probably speaking more to her memoirs. She's speaking more to her legacy. She's speaking to the foreign audience. And she's telling us how she wants to be remembered. In other words, here's what I think I did during my eight years. I reached out to the U.S. and Japan and the Europeans, etc., formed really good relationships. And for that reason, Taiwan has become better known politically. And Taiwan is, in her view, safer because of these strong relations. And whether we believe it or not, I think we should believe that's how she wants to be remembered. Paul, I mean, do you think she's going to be remembered for reaching out to European countries? I don't know how she will be remembered, but I can say that her New Year's address this was was full of uh, full of lies. Because when she said when she said something like Taiwan is now more confident facing China, no, 
our poll found that people, um, her, her people, majority of Taiwanese were unsatisfied with her cross-strait relations. Majority of Taiwanese were are not confident Taiwan can tai, Taiwan can 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 uh, successfully defend itself in a war against China. So what she she she, she made all these all these uh, lofty statements about well, we're more confident now we're more we feel more secure now. No, no, no. That's just not what the evidence suggests. And the fact that she, she, after eight years, she has not been able to, uh, just by polling alone, we're not even talking about the actual fundamentals, the military, the, 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 the skewed military balance, how prepared, unprepared Taiwan's military is, how unsecure everything is. We're just talking about public perception. Even public perception is not with her. Then she has the audacity, her team has the audacity to put these, lofty self-praising statement into her New Year final New Year's address tells you that how out of touch um, she and her team are to the, to the reality of uh, the geopolitics and even just people's uh, public perception. Well, uh, it's up to her to form her legacy. Uh, if she thinks that uh, the world knows Taiwan because of me. I, I just wish her luck in trying to sell that uh, for, for memoirs. And that's what we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joining the studio today by Paul Huang. Thank you, everyone. And Ralph Jennings. Thanks, Gavin. And on the telephone by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.